theyeshiva.net. You guys remember what we learned last time? I hope you remember. If not, it would be worthwhile to review it and uh, try to internalize it. We were learning about the real definition of bittel. Today's class is dedicated in the loving memory of Harav Akiva, Ben Harav, Rebavram Binyamin Zilberberg, in honor of the yard site on Chav Gimel Tamos, Tehenish Mosai, Tzruda B'Tzrera Chaim, and Aguta Better, for his whole family, B'Toiv Hanirev Anigla, L'Arichis Yamim B'Shanim Toivus, and Shefa Brocha V'Atzlocha, in good health, Lamata Me'asarat Vachim, and Psurus Tovis Betach Klal Yisrael Amen Kenya Hiratsen. So we're in the middle of the Maimer of Shabbos Parshas Matos Masay, Tovshin Yud Beis, that's 1952 in the secular calendar, and we are on the bottom of page 90. Somebody wrote to me, somebody wrote a comment that I thought was very uh, was very meaningful. So usually I read the comments at the end, but I'm going to read this particular comment in the, the now before I begin. This person who's a regular participant in these early morning classes wrote as follows: I'm listening to this mimer that you're teaching, this discourse that you're teaching. In my mind, it's the olive base of existence. Not knowing this truth of existence is like driving a car without ever learning how to drive and never learning, never reading a driving manual. Crashing is inevitable. I can only experience God's love when I can remain present with who I am. Being able to recognize both my strengths my nefesh kiss, my divine consciousness, my bittel, but also my shortcomings and other voices of klippe, and recognize both of them with honesty. It's in that space I can experience the unconditional love of God and become so grateful for all the good He gave me in my life. Also at the same time, I can be introspective into those areas which need avoida and inner work, and I can own that avoida and that responsibility. When the view of who I am is distorted, and all I experience is non-existence, it's unbearable to remain in the presence of so much pain. I must distract myself with anything that promises me any hope of existence. When you explain that Kedusha is really alive, and Klup Klippe is a compensation for life, it explains to me why it's so difficult to remain in that presence. It's so painful. It's so full of agony. I have to distract myself with anything that tells me I will give you the gift of existence. I will give you the gift of life, even if it's a lie. It doesn't matter how short-lived it might be. It doesn't matter how temporary, how transient, how unreal, how inauthentic. Anything that will make me feel that I'm alive, I will run to. Often in that painful state, I cannot experience 
true life. I cannot experience, I open myself to the absolute flow of life, the exclusive flow of life. What I experience in my own infinite pain. And that beca- that becomes the overwhelming experience and it also defines my experience of who God is. It doesn't matter how good God is. My pain is all I experience. I've lost the perspective of reality. You can have it in a marriage as well. One spouse can suffer from so much past trauma and hurt that their sense of self is so distorted that no matter how loving and caring the other spouse is with them, unfortunately, all they're able to experience coming through from the spouse is pain. In reality, they're only experiencing their own pain because the lens of their perspective has been damaged and tarnished and traumatized. So anything the other spouse says is interpreted and distorted as an attack, as unhealthy criticism, as the opposite of love, as the opposite of empathy. This is the confirmation bias where everything I hear becomes another element that just perpetuates my trauma and my inner sense of inadequacy. If this is between two people who are there for each other, how much more so is this with is this with God? I could never ever begin even to experience God's love to me because I cannot experience anything within myself outside of my trauma. This is so deep. In my mind, this is the Maida'ani of Yiddishkeit. These are the Yisaitis, these are the fundamentals. You explained what Bittl was. When I live in a state of Bittl, there is only one question to ask every morning when I wake up. God, show me where you need me to express and shine my infinite light today. And then remain present and open for that guidance. When we live with that perspective of Bittl, we have entered into a conversation with the divine and divine oneness. When I live enslaved, when I live a life that is enslaved by my instincts of Klippa, then every day creates new clashes and the clashes between my instincts and God's plans for me and God's plans for me causes so much untold suffering. I see life through the lens of the survival of the fittest rather than through the lens of being a manifestation of infinite light. Well said. What a painful existence to have to take on the world every single morning. Because I'm not aligned with the world. I'm not aligned with the Creator. I'm not aligned with myself. I'm not aligned with infinity. I feel abandoned in a wrestling match against, a wrestling match against the universe. My life is then filled with fear, anxiety, jealousy, animosity, insecurity, and a whole other, a whole other list of pains. I often remain a bottomless pit of unfulfilled needs, wants, and frustrations waiting for validation, waiting for compliments, waiting for somebody to fill me up and tell me that I'm good. How liberating to wake up in the morning with only that one question. God, show me where you need me today to express your and my infinite light today. Beautiful. Ganz gut. Very well said. Because what does this teach us? What is Bittl? 
we often look at bitl and we say bitl means I have to become something. You know, I have to crush myself, I have to destroy myself, I have to annihilate myself, I have to nullify myself. That's what bitl means. I have to throw myself into the big pot of chalant so that the drop of milk can be nullified, bitl b'shishim, it can be nullified by a ratio of one of 60 to the other, to the, uh, to the pot of chalant. The truth is, in our context, what bitl actually means is, you don't have to create something. You have to get rid of things. I have to shed the layers that conceal and obstruct and block my natural, most inner core. That's what I have to do. I don't have to create something new. I have to get rid of the anxiety, the voices of insecurity, the endless pressure, the the fears that I have, all the traumas that sit in my body and in my brain and don't stop feeding me messages that don't allow me to experience me in the fullest sense of the word. Bittal just means shedding all the extra layers that I'm wearing, all the extra thoughts that drive me crazy, shedding them, letting them go, letting them be, but not allowing them to define me. The ability to really say, I'm not my thoughts, I'm not my anxiety, I'm not my trauma, I'm not my body, I'm not my sensations, I'm not my insecurity, I'm not my ego, I'm not my envy, I'm not my hate, I'm not my frustration, I'm not my jealousy, I'm not my dread, etc. Now when it says I'm not, they may be inside of me. Each of them needs its own tikkun, each of them is trying to alert me to something I have to work on. But that real ability to emancipate myself, now this is not easy. I speak about this, I'll just emphasize as I speak about this, I also struggle with this. These are truths that we learn about. We aspire to them. We try to work on them every day. But this is not necessarily something that comes easy, especially if I've been trained or you've been trained your whole life to think in different patterns. Remember, our brains' patterns create neural pathways. And scientifically, in neuroscience, we know today that that's the natural instinctive way where my brain goes. You say a comment to me, and my brain has a certain way of responding. And the neural pathways becomes like the, you know, when you have a, a, a street that you follow every single day to work for 40 years, 30 years, 20 years, 10 years. You don't even have to, you don't even notice that you're going there. You get into your car, you put on whatever you put on, hopefully it's my shear or something else that's productive, and you go. You don't even notice. Because why? This is, your brain takes you there. Your brain is already accustomed. You make a right here, you go straight here, you make a left here, you end up in the office. Some of us still get lost after 15 years, but that also takes a special skill. The same is true in our emotional journeys. It's like you wake up in the morning and my brain starts going there. Your child says something and your brain goes there. Your wife says something, your husband says something, and you go there. You get the text, you get the email, automatically I go there. And it's in a place, I go to that place of more pressure, more fear, more frustration, more anxiety, more stress, and more misery. Bittal is the ability of shedding all those layers, really shedding all those layers and allowing my brain to think differently, 
to respond differently. Not by fighting all of those voices. I can't fight them. They're part of, they're part of my experience. They're part of my journey. Not only that, deep down, Klippa is also godly. We have to remember that. Deep, deep down, it's a shell. The difference in Klippa and Kedusha is the Klippa is a shell. It blocks it. So deep down, there's a spark there too. It's trying to teach me something. But the first step is to be able to know that I cannot exclusively identify by this because it's a klippa, it's a husk. I want to identify by my kedusha. What's my kedusha? My kedusha is that I am a manifestation of God's light in this world. So this is something I try to work on. We all need to try to work on. It's not an easy avoid. It's really very easy, but it's also very difficult. <laughs> it's easy because it's really your natural self. It's my natural self. When I say natural, I don't mean that it necessarily comes, you know, automatically. But natural means it's my real self. It's my innate self. It's my intrinsic self. But the avoid is the real ability to shed all those distractions. Anything that becomes a mechitza, that becomes a barrier between me and my awareness of self as a conduit for divine infinity in this world, anything that comes in between that, that is something I want to be mavatl. I want to shed. I want to, I want to let go. And then I can experience other people this way. I can experience the world this way. I can experience situations this way. I don't get scared. I don't get scared of my emotions. I don't get scared of pressure. I don't get scared of something, somebody who says something. I don't get scared of any one of my thoughts because it can be, it can be in, it's it placed into context where it belongs. Now, let's recall one very important theme that we learned in the previous year. When was that? Monday, last Monday. And I want to emphasize the summation of that point. I know that the first half of last year was a little complicated about Iris and Kalim and what Eir is and Kiyum Atzmi and Mitsyusi Matsmusi and Eirmein Hamoyer. And uh, it's very easy with these concepts, you know, to roll your eyes and hear more concepts and more concepts and just get confused and not really appreciate the ideas and the depth of what's being conveyed here. So let's summarize and recall the core of the conversation. This Maimir is telling us the reason that the Yetzirah and Klippa are so obsessed in making the person err and sin. What's the secret of it? As explained in the previous classes, does the Yetzirah hate you so much? Hate me so much? If yes, why? What did I do to him? And this begins the answer, the, the answer that he begins explaining and developing is that there's only one source of life. And everything receives its life from it. There's one source of oxygen. There's one source of vitality. There's one source of chius. But the way to receive that life from the only one source is when I am in a state of bittel, Yiras Hashem Lechayim, in the words of the Pasuk in Mishlei, which means the awe of God brings to life 
Usually awe, you would think, doesn't bring to life. On the contrary, it shrinks life. <laughs> it diminishes you. Here it's the other way around. The more my ego is diminished in the presence of the divine, the more chayim. Why? Because the more I can be a conduit for the flow of life. When I impose barriers on my relationship with infinity, then the flow of life is obstructed. And that's when I'm in a state of anxiety and separateness. And I have to figure things out on my own. And I'm completely independent. As this comment, as this comment explained, you know, abandoned in a world, fighting with everybody, including myself. <laughs> Busy fighting with me also. Trying to justify myself, trying to argue with myself. You know, when you start getting into these incessant arguments with yourself, anybody does that ever? You know, you do something and it was a failure or you think it was a failure and your brain doesn't stop and you're arguing with yourself, was it fine, was it bad, was it very bad, am I bad, I'm good, I'm sometimes good, I'm sometimes bad. No, I'm the worst thing that ever existed. No, he's much worse than me. Yeah, but I'm really worse than him because I know better. (laughs) And you think you're having a rational argument. (laughs) It's very funny how the psyche works. Those are the traps because I'm completely not in a state of life. I'm in a state of guilt, of self-loathing, of self-negation, of self-destruction, of self-sabotage. Self-sabotage. Bittle means, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to sabotage myself. I don't want to make myself so small, so I have to make myself so big in a fake way. Rather, I could appreciate the truth of who I am. Now, this doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. But from a place of bittel, you I look at the mistake and I learn from it. I fix it. I do whatever I can to make mends. Something called tshuva. But I don't live in the mistake. I don't get stuck in the quagmire of my mistakes. Because there's a flow. There's a flow allow. What do they say? The power of now. I'm in the present moment. There's a heartbeat of life. There's a divine heartbeat of life. You know, when you're, 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 we could learn from our biological system, because that's God's creation and His imprint on us. Your body can't live because yesterday it lived. There's a heartbeat right now. There's a circulatory system happening right now. There's a respiratory system that's functioning right now. I inhaled oxygen yesterday, won't help me for today. I inhaled oxygen five minutes ago, won't help me now. I have to inhale oxygen this moment. And I have to ex- exhale carbon dioxide. The blood that flowed yesterday and brought oxygen and nutrients to all the cells of my body, and especially to the brain, I can't rely on that. The blood now has to continue bringing it every moment. Why? Because life is always what happens right now. There's the heartbeat of creation right now. We learned in this mimer that just like there's the circulatory system in every person's living organism, and every living organism, there's also the circulatory system of the cosmos. You remember? The human biology is just a microcosm. It's a mirror, it's a reflection of the whole system of creation. Generally, the way Hashem created the world is every tiny system is a, is a microcosm of a larger system. And they all have the same pattern, by the way. It's not for today's Shia, there's a nucleus, and something revolves around it. Look how the galaxies function, and look how an atom functions. It's amazing. The atom, the way an atom functions, yeah, there's a nucleus, 
we call it the nucleus of the atom, and then there is what revolves around it. Now, that's tiny, it's microscopic, we can't even see it. The galaxies function exactly in the same way. Orbiting their orbit. And the same is true with a cell. A cell which is made up of molecules, which is made up of atoms, which is make, made up of subatomic particles, you have the nucleus of the cell. You always have that center. So the small systems and the large systems always reflect each other. The circulatory system in our bodies is a reflection of the circulatory cosmic spiritual system, which is the blood flow of creation, which is the chius, the oxygen and the nutrients of the divine that vibrate through all of existence. There's a circulatory system. And the worst thing that can happen is shvich is when I give a stab at that system and I allow the blood to spill. Shoifich dama adam ba'adam dama yishafich. And that's the essence of what an Avera means. The essence of what an Avera means, not just I do something, I'm going to get punished. It means I create dissonance. I surrender to dissonance between me and the world and its circulation, its circulatory system. I allow the energy, the vitality, to be transported into another domain. I feed and I give existence to a life that is not authentically one with the source. I take that blood and I give life to a reality that's called Klippe. Of course Klippe wants me to sin. That's its only way it gets life, because remember, it's not intrinsically alive. We spoke about there's being alive and there's making believe you're alive. There's only one way of being alive. And you could feel it in a very deep place. There's a calmness that overtakes you. There's a harmony that encompasses all of your existence when you're in touch with the flow of life. When there is dissonance, when I create a mechitza shal barzal, when I create a barrier between me and the flow of life, there's a frustration. There's any, I'll do anything. To be able to breathe. You know when a person, coronavirus, a person is struggling to breathe, or a person is struggling to survive physically, they'll do anything to be able to get a little bit of that chius. The obsession and the desperation knows no bounds. Now you understand why the Yetzirah is obsessed with you? <laughs> the guy, I want to say the poor guy, but I shouldn't call him poor, but maybe the poor guy. Maybe the poor guy is looking for oxygen. <laughs> The Rebbe asked him, why is the Yitzhahara Azaymer Shigi? doesn't stop 24 hours a day. He'll chop you any moment. You think he gets lazy. He never gets lazy. Because when you're looking for oxygen, you can't get lazy. It's this or death. For him, this is it. If I get you, if I lure you into my trap, I get my oxygen. I get my chiyas. Because he doesn't have a natural way of getting chiyas. Because the only way to get chiyas is through bitl. And clip is the opposite of bitl. That obsession, therefore, makes a lot of sense. For him, it's a question of life and death. I need, I need to survive. <laughs> when you understand this, you understand the choices that you're making. And that's the idea of Shvich I take the energy that belongs to the domain of Kedusha, because all the energy belongs to the domain of Kedusha, because it's divine, Einoid Mulvada, and I feed it, I spill it into other places that now use this chiyos, this input, this output, this talent, this resources, this time, this energy, in order to cover up the truth of existence. I, the Mimer asks, everything depends on Hashem's will. 
nothing is intrinsically alive, as the Rambam puts it in Hilchis Yisodi HaTorah Perek Aleph, which we're actually going to be learning today, but Hashkacha Pratis. Everything is here because of God's will. In other words, it's not intrinsically alive. You're telling me that Kedusha is intrinsically alive. It's called Chayis Atzmi. And Klippa is, you know, it's a pseudo-life, it's a fake life. But everything is here only because of God's will. That's Emes. But that's the difference between Kedusha and Klippa. Everything in Kedusha, like anything else, is here because of God's will. But this difference is the key of Bittl. Kedusha identifies itself as a conduit, as a manifestation of divine energy. And therefore, it becomes intrinsically alive. Because its life is aligned with the source of life. That's what Bittl means. So therefore, anything in Kedusha becomes intrinsically alive. So what does it mean to live a life of Kedusha? It means to live a life in which you experience essential life. You're not alive circumstantially. You're actually fully, fully alive. Why are you fully alive? Pashat. Because you're aligned with the one source that is always alive, that is essentially alive. The more I align with that source, the more I become a manifestation, a conduit for that source, the more my I becomes one with life. So my life now is not anymore superficial, uh, superimposed. It's struggling to find something that will excite me. It's really looking for the distractions to make me feel that I'm alive because I feel I'm not so alive. No, on the contrary. The person is in the state of oneness. Oneness with the source of life and therefore I just become a conduit through which that life flows through. Now, this doesn't mean, people asked, what about struggle? What about frustration? What about if something is not going right? And there's always something not going right in Golos. That doesn't take away from the Bittl. It doesn't, I should say, it doesn't have to take away from the Bittl. Depends what I do with it. It may be a very, very deep challenge that's coming to teach me something, that needs, that wants something from me, that doesn't have to take away from the bittle. What that does is, it challenges me. It could take me away from the bittle. I can go into a place of just acting from a place of pain and frustration and anger and and instinct and my bad temper, and then I go away from the place of bittle. Or this challenging situation can open me up and I can ask myself the question of what is my divine mission right now. So a struggle doesn't take me away from this place. We're not here talking about a life of bliss that is perfect. We don't live such lives. I mean, most of us don't live such lives. You know, everything is perfect and impeccable and flawless. There's no problem. There's no challenge. Every person has their peckle that we deal with. But the more I'm in a place of bittal, the more I could respond to it from a, from, from a equanimity, from a place of, of, of an inner equilibrium, a, a sense of harmony, of oneness, of purpose, of meaning, instead of being carried away by a flood, you know, by the surge of water, by the current of water, by a tsunami, and it just sweeps me away, and I don't, 
I can't find my bearings anymore. Bittel anchors me in a place of infinity, in a place of solid confidence. Because I'm allowing myself to be a conduit for the source of life. And in the source of life, there is awareness, there is caring, there is love, there is truth, there is meaning, there is purpose, there is confidence, and there is joy. Like we say every morning in davening, there is confidence and joy in his space. What's his space? In that space of bittel, in that space of the divine, which I can be in through bittel. What is bittel? Bittel means I shed the layers that block and obstruct my experiencing myself as a manifestation of infinity. In that space of bittel, there is always confidence, there is always joy. So my approach to the crisis or the challenge I'm dealing with comes from a much more wholesome place and deeper place. And then I can observe the voices of Klippe, but I don't have to make their voices my own to the point that they define me. This is Avaida Hashem. This takes Avaida. Specifically, the Maime mentions Iris, Kalim, and Neshamas. What is Iris? What is Kalim? What is Neshamas? Oir is not the thing itself. It's the light of something. Keli is a vessel. The vessel contains the light. What is Oir? Oir is that the Rebbeinu Shalaylam allowed everything in this world to have light, to emit light. In other words, it allows, he allowed everything to be seen, to be experienced, to be transported to other things. So that's what light does. Light travels. Light brings the experience of the tree to me, to my eyes, to my brain. Through my eyes, through my brain. But that's what Ur does. Where does Ur begin? Ur begins in Ein Saif. What would be Ein Saif without Ur? Is there Hashem without Ur? Of course. God is not defined by light. In fact, if Hashem didn't want, there wouldn't be Ur. And what would that mean? That would mean the essence would exist only vis-a-vis itself. There would be no transporting the essence into an experiential existence that can be seen, appreciated, perceived by the other. That's the Chiddush, the novelty of Ur. When we say, we always say, I, you, we are a manifestation of God in this world. I'm not God, but I'm God's light. Do you understand the difference? I'm not Hashem. Even you're not Hashem. (laughs) But we're God's light, the Eir of Hashem. What's Eir? Eir is the way the Etzem is manifested. It's perceived. It's experienced. It's already articulated to some degree. Because the essence can't be articulated. Light also can barely be articulated. But at least there's some experience of it. There's some manifestation. Then there's Kaylee. Kaylee is already the light becoming compressed, defined, finite. Some guys tune out now when we we stop with psychology for 20 seconds. Stay in. Stay in. (laughs) What's Kaylee? Kaylee's already much different. Kaylee's already Hagbala, 
limitations. The light becomes finite. If you want to use the language of physics, and I don't know if this is completely accurate, but I think, I think there's some truth to it. We know that light today is full of paradox. There's no way to define it. They try to define it as a particle, gatenished. They try to define it as a wave, didn't work. They try to define it one or the other, it never worked. They try to define it as both, it worked. As neither, it worked. As either one, it also worked. Full of paradoxes. Is light a particle? Is light a wave? Is light both? Is light neither? And all the experiments show that everything is true. So what is it? But when you observe it, it collapses into one model. On its own, it's full of paradox. And the speed of light is mind-staggering. And I'm talking here about light the way we perceive it in our physical world. I'm not talking about Eirein Seif. But like everything, remember, everything is a marshal. The small systems reflect the big systems. The physical systems reflect, reflect the spiritual systems. Our physical circulatory system represents the spiritual cosmic circulatory system of divine blood. Also flows. Hadamu Nefesh. Hadamu Nefesh. So every system is a reflection of a deeper system. expression of Everything is a shell that conceals yet a deeper layer, which is a shell that conceals a deeper layer, and so forth. Oyer and Kali is this difference. Oyer is the way the divine is manifested, but it's still infinite. Infinite. And that's why without a Kali, there's no structure, there's no limitation. And Kali is when the Oyer assumes a defined quality and characteristic, which is called Hagbal, of finiteness. The question here in this Maimer is, how alive can I really become? It seems like I can't really be alive. I'm a little creature. Mortal Adam Yisoyde may offer, offer. So he's Mechadish in this Maimer, and this is no, this is no small Chiddish. Hu Kayam. Ushmoi Kayam. That Hashem is Kayam, Hashem Elikim Emes, Einaid Malvadai, Nu, obviously. The only thing that's Kayam. But what about everything else? Everything else is only here because He wants it. If it's here because He wants it, essentially it's vulnerable. It means it doesn't really exist. Its existence is circumstantial. And we all feel it. The reason we distract ourselves with so many things is because we're trying to compensate for the sense that I'm not really alive. So we say in Davening, Hu chai kayam. Hu, he says, is the Oyr. Ushmai kayam is the Keli. Also kayam. Kayam doesn't mean exist. Kayam means intrinsically exists. V'chisay nachayim. Even the Neshama, which is a Kisei. As the Gemara says, Kisei shal shalash regalim of Ramitzah and Yaakov. That's also kaya, that also intrinsically exists. Which means, when my, not only my life as an infinite manifestation of God intrinsically exists, even the keli. What's the keli? The keli is the finiteness of my life can also be intrinsically alive. The finiteness of my life, the vicissitudes of my life, the limitation, my life as a limited being, not only my soul, also my body. The body is limited. The body is a keli. The neshama is like air, light. And the guf is a keli because the body contains the soul and limits it. And it facilitates its expression, its expression in very limited, finite ways. But since the keli in Kedusha also defines itself as a conduit for the air, 
So the keli also becomes intrinsically alive. Just like the Eid is intrinsically alive because the Eid defines itself as a conduit to express the essence. And therefore the neshama, which comes from Eiris and Kalim, from the infinite and the finite together, is also intrinsically alive. So not only is, are the aspects of my life that are aligned with infinity intrinsically alive, every aspect, even the finiteness of my life can also be intrinsically alive. Why? The key is always bittel. The moment I shed the layers that don't allow me to experience any part of my life as a manifestation of divine energy, either in a level of Eir or a level of Keli, which come together in our world, when I can shed all the layers that don't allow me to experience myself that way, then I am intrinsically alive. My Chius is Atzmi. It's not circumstantial. Let's see inside now. We're up to page 90. We're up to page 90. This last paragraph, you see, Vitam Hadavar. Vitam Hadavar. Vitam Hadavar, page 90 in the Maimah. Vitam Hadavar, Shaydis Vakelim Vanashamas Dikdushim Kayaman Bekiyam Atzmi, who Mishmashyash Baminyan Abitl. The reason that Iris and Kalim and Ashamas of Kedusha are intrinsically alive, their existence is intrinsic, is because they possess what's called bitl. Through bitl, they become one, they are united with the core, the essence. As it says in Zayar, the Tikkuni Zayar introduction, He, Hashem, Chayoi means his life. Garmoi means his garments. Garments, Garmoi, his levushim, are all one. What does this mean? He refers to the Eir. The Eir of Ein Saif. Again, what's the Eir of Ein Saif? It's the way Ein Saif is manifested, is expressed, is revealed. That's what Eir is. Eir is revelation. Without Eir... Nothing is revealed. Everything exists only vis-a-vis itself. Eir is the first place of language. What do I mean language? Not language, defined language. But language in the sense that there is already an experience of something. There is a thing and there is the experience of it. That's Eir. Chayoi hemakelem. Chayoi are the vessels. This is not just the experience of something. It's the experience of something in a defined way. It's articulated through a vessel, which means it has a definition. That's already a new level of bringing finiteness to the infinite, the keli to the earth. And of course, our life is a marriage of both. Everything has infinite energy because it's divine energy, but it's through a keli. If you look at a tree, there's a lot of kalim there. <laughs> you have the, you have the system, you have the roots and you have the trunk. And you have the branches, and you have the leaves, and you have the flowers, and you have the fruits, and you have sunlight, and you have air, and you have soil, and you have water, and everything together creates the system that allows vegetation and produce. It vibrates with infinite divine energy, but it always works through Kalim. What's the Kali? The Kali is the finite chemical structure, I should say the finite 
uh, structure, whether chemical structure, molecular structure, atomic structure, DNA structure, deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. But there are structures, physical structures, which come from spiritual structures that are called kalim. That's why we say chesed, gvurit, teferis, netzach, said. This is the DNA divine program. Chesed, Gvurit, Teferis, 22 letters of Aleph Beis. Aleph Beis, Gimel, Dalet, Hevav. This is God's DNA. The letters of Aleph Beis. Basara Mamores, Nivra Ha'olam. Basara Mamores, those are Kalim. So everything in our world is a marriage of Oyer and Kalim. That's Ihu and Chayoi. Vigarmoi Hem Anashamas. Garmoi are the souls. Vikulam Hem Chad. Dainu Biyichudim Atzmus. And all of them could become one. Meaning it becomes one. If they become one, then we become intrinsically alive. Why? Because your life becomes an embodiment, a manifestation of God's life. Is God intrinsically alive? Or he's just looking for distractions in order to make believe he's alive? The definition of God is life. The definition of life is God. And again, the word God could be very confusing here, because when often we think of God, it's like there's some big guy who's alive. Why is he alive and I'm not alive? Oh, he's a big, he just has more muscles than I. <laughs> he lives longer because he's bigger, he's stronger, he's a bigger Eig Melech We have to graduate from these uh, terms, from from, you know, immature terms. God is a word, it's, it's a problem because it's a word and we're not talking here about words. We're talking here about the core of life, the origin of life, the origin of species, the real origin of species. We're talking about the core of life. It's not, is he alive or not? This is life. This is life. So he's not circumstantially alive, you know. You put the battery into the mic, right? I put the battery into the mic. I hope it's working yet. So the mic is the mic is functioning because it has a battery. The soul, you know, when the biochemical function, the the body, the biochemical currents are functioning. The electricity is flowing through the body. The body is alive. Segeta gang. But is that called intrinsic life? On its own, it's a corpse. A mazel, you have the flow of energy, so it's alive. That's the chiddushir iu v'chayoyi v'girmayichad the iris and the kalim and the neshamas could be one with Atmos. And therefore what happens? You become fully alive. And in the place of life, there's no death. And in the place of real life, there's no, there's no uh, taste of death, which means anxiety, dread, fear, which are all forms of death in a small fashion. Like the Gemara says in Brachas, Shin is Echid Meshishim B'Misa. Right? Sleep is a one-sixtieth of, of Misa Khalil. In other words, there are different elements of life which are not death, but they have the trace of death. What is the trace of death? The trace of death is when I am disaligned with the source of life. But iyu so therefore you're intrinsically alive. Light is always connected with its source. Take a look at the light of the sun. Right now there are rays of the sun coming through the window into this room where I am fortunate and privileged to sit here and speak to you. Whenever there is something that separates between the light and the sun, the light will immediately seize. Why? 
If I create the mechitza between the light and the sun, the light of the sun is coming through my windows. I take a thick veil, a thick curtain, a Venetian blind, and I cover the window. The light is gone. What happened? The light was here. Where did the light go to? The answer is, <laughs> it's a little bit of a foolish question. What is light? Light is the ray of the sun. The moment you separate, you create a partition between the source and the light, there's no light anymore. Why not? Because if the light was separate from the source of the light, then you can ask a question. Why is the light not here? But it's not separate. The definition of light is, it's davuk, it's cleaved. It is a continuum of the sun. That's what it is. It, it transports something of the heat, something of the energy, something of the radiance of the sun. It transports it into my home. It's not separate. right? I'll get, imagine you're standing in front of a mirror. And you see your reflection in the mirror. Somebody can even take a photo of your reflection in the mirror and it's going to look like you, even though they're not taking a photo of you, they're taking a photo of your reflection. And we have your picture. Now you move away from the mirror and I look at the mirror and I say, where are you? Where is he gone? I don't understand. One minute ago you were standing in front of the mirror. I saw you in the mirror. It was real. It wasn't fake. And now you left. Why are you not here? Why did you disappear from the mirror? It's a little bit of a foolish question. Why? You don't exist in the mirror. It's a reflection of you. It's not separate. The moment you're not here, the reflection is not here because the definition of the reflection in the mirror was a reflection of you. If there's no you, there's no reflection. That's air. The definition of air is it's a reflection. It transports the Ein Saif into another domain where it can be seen, where it can be perceived, where it can be experienced. That's air. But Eir, without its source, there's no Eir. Because Eir is the continuum of the source. That's why Eir is infinite. That's why we can't say about light, even physical light, if it's a particle or a wave. That's why physical light travels 186,000 186, miles per second. Where does the speed come from? The speed comes from God's speed. What do they call God's speed? Where the speed comes from? It's the most that the physical world could manifest something that essentially is infinite. Our physical world is not infinite. So therefore, Eir is still limited. It still is limited. It has definitions. But even in the world of definition, it's pretty definitionless. That's why light is so enigmatic and it so eludes the brain of scientists because it does not lend itself to easy definitions. Because what is Eir in its source? Eir in its source is a manifestation of the divine. It's not the divine. It's a manifestation of the divine. It's the light of the divine. Our world, Balatanya writes, Alter Rebbe writes in Neger Sakaidish Semen Chaf, it's the last mime he wrote a few days before his passing. Our world is essentially Ur. That's what it is. Our world is the manifestation of God. It's Ur. You don't say the world is Hashem. It's Ur. And it's Ur the way it was channeled through Kalim. From there comes the finiteness. It's Ur the way it was channeled through Kalim. So it's a marriage of Ur and Kalim. With this idea that our world is essentially iron, Balatanya tried to answer a lot of big questions that come up in Jewish philosophy and Kabbalah about the relationship of undefined divine to a finite world, what the relationship is. So some, some brought down God and some removed God. And both were very problematic. And it was Eir that became a key feature in, uh, in Chesidus Chabad for the Balatanya, so it's beyond the realm of this Shir, but Eir became a very important feature in his teachings, the concept of Eir. So Eir by definition is, 
unity. It's not like it has to be united. You have to. Be, <laughs> we were learning once the, the this concept with Rabbi El Khan. So it says that the oil is dovuk. It's always connected to this to the light. So uh, so he you know he turns to us. So someone of the boys was like, "What does it mean connected? Connected?" So he said, "What do you think? You think it means connected with scotch tape? The oil is not connected with scotch tape." The, the definition of Eir is a continuum of the Meir, a continuum of the source. That's what Eir is. The Chenu Lamaila. This is just a physical metaphor. The Kol Metziyas Eir Himasho Gilu Atmos. The definition of Eir is the Gilui, the manifestation of Atmos. Without Eir, Atmos would just be Atmos. <laughs> there would be no, no, no possible awareness of it. Everything would be what it is in itself. That's it. There would be no no ability to experience it outside of itself. Which means everything would be true. Because <laughs> the moment something is revealed, it's already not true. Because it's already transported. Light brings the experience of the sun to me. And by that very self, it's already compromised. It's already not that. If it's, if it's oir, it's already not atmos. But without oir, I don't have anything of it. So thank you. So oir is essential. It's necessary. Without oir, what, what would be we do in a world without light? <laughs> Everything would be just completely self-contained. The first relationship with the world outside of me is through the light. The light that travels from one thing to another thing. It allows me to see the world. In a more, in a more conceptual way, what is oir? Oir is the beginning of relationships. The connection between one and the other. But that connection is where there's also a compromise of truth because the way I'm experienced, the way I'm seeing is never who I am. The way I'm seeing is the way I am articulated in a way that can be seen. And then there's Caleb, which means you only see it based on your ability to perceive what you're capable of perceiving. The first symptom, the first problem is... The way I'm seeing is never who I am, what I am. What I am is beyond description. Eid is already description. But then there is Kali, which means you can only take it according to your vessels. right? That's why there's colors that we can't see. There's sounds that we can't hear. Because we can only accept the Eid with our Kali. And our vessels limit and define the Eid. So you see what's going on here? So you have Atmos. That's real. That's real, the real thing. No, Atmos is Atmos. But Atmos I can't talk about, because if I could talk about it, it's not Atmos. Watch the wires, okay? Watch the wires. Then there's Eir. What's Eir? Eir is the way Atmos is spoken about. It can be seen. Then there's Kaylee. What's Kaylee? Kaylee is already the way it's filtered through finite vessels and structures. When I'm looking at a tree, I see the tree. But what do I see of the tree? I see of the tree what my retin, what my uh, retina in my eye and my brain can perceive of the tree. The certain aspects that I can't even see. I don't have the keli for it. So that even that oil, I don't even get. So even oil, oil is that the tree is seen. But how much of that do I get? Only what my kalim can perceive. How much of the shear do you get? What your vessel is open to. What the vessel is not open to is, the earth could be there, but it just goes over my head. The same is true with everything in life. So, oir is not the atz etzel, but oir 
is always one with the etzim. Because what is Ur? Like the light of the sun. You separate the Ur from the sun, you don't have Ur anymore. Then you have Keli. Yeah. So Ur, even though it's not Atzmos, but because it's completely bottled to the source, it's also alive. This is all translates in life. This is not just abstract ideas. A bigger chiddush is kalim. Kalim are finite, but the whole inyan of the keli is that it's bottled to the light that's in it, and therefore she's a goyim shagam heim you kayam bekiyamatzmi. So therefore, the kalim can also be intrinsically alive because they're completely bottled to the oil, which is bottled to the source. And souls also have this essential bitl oneness with etzim, with Hashem's essence. And therefore they can also be intrinsically alive. And this is the great idea in life. That not only atzmos, even oiris, and even kalim, and even neshamas, don't have to fake life. They don't make believe they're alive. But their life is actually intrinsic, it's essential. I am really alive. I become one with life. I am truly, truly alive, and therefore I don't need any distractions to make me feel that I'm alive. I don't need, I don't deal, I don't have to numb the pain, the emptiness that I have dissonance between me and existence, which every human being naturally has. We have this inner sense of inadequacy or mortality or fear of death, whatever you want to call it, it's because I know that I'm not really alive <laughs> on some level. I want to delude myself. That's all outside of Kedusha. In the world of Kedusha, the Oedis and the Kalim and even the Neshamas become a conduit for absolute life. And therefore, they're Kayom and Bekiyom Atzmi. Let's finish the paragraph. The Medrash in Eicha Rabbah, it's actually connected to these days, Medrash quotes the Pasuk, Yirmiya Novi says in Eicha chapter 3, My part is Hashem, says my soul. What does this mean? My part is Hashem, says my soul. Watch the wires, okay? Watch the wires. Don't step on the wires because it could disconnect. Okay, so just stand here, stand there. Because the wires could disconnect. Yeah, yeah. Go put your foot there so it doesn't step on the wires. Yeah. Because the, the camera could disconnect. Says the Medrash, Mashal Amalek Shanichnas be Medina. A metaphor of a monarch who went into the Medina, went into the country, Ve'imai Duxin Vafrachin. And together with him were the Dukes and the governors. You know, he went with the whole entourage of ministers and governors and leaders. Zebir Loy Duches, Vezebir Loy Afrachia. So now, people, the, the new king comes to the country with all these people, so every macher needs to find a politician that he's going to be close with, that he has protection with, that he could, you know, he could meet him and he can phone him. Today we would say phone him. You know, he's on speaking terms with them. There's a friendly, friend, friend, a friendliness. You have to have your senator, your congressman, your, uh, your politician. So this one, this, this, this fellow finds the dukes and this fellow finds another governor. There was a wise man. Omar, he says, Malka. I am going to be with the king. My time, 
all of them are exposable. They're, they're changeable. They could be substituted. A year, two years, ten years, twenty years, fifty. Malkeinim is chalaf. The king, nobody is going to uh, substitute for. This is what the Medrash says. That this is pshat chelki Hashem Amra nafshi. There's a lot going on in this world. What am I choosing? I can choose the dukes. I can choose the governor. They're very powerful. They have a lot of influence. Says the Medrash, these are all distractions. Amra nafshi, my nefesh says, nasiv malka. I'm not, I don't want fake life. I want real life. Because fake life is always disappointing. Because it doesn't really exist. So today it seems like it exists. And tomorrow I'm left outside to dry, right? I, they hang me to dry. In other words, I'm empty again. And that's the key issue. That's the key nekuda in life. If you're taking one, if we have to take out the nekuda, this is the nekuda. All of them, they're temporary. Today, I feel I'm alive. I'm on top of the world. But tomorrow, tomorrow I'm empty. Tomorrow I have a void again. I'm numb again. I'm, I'm, and again, I need, so I need more stimulation. There's only one space where I will always be alive. Chelki Hashem Amranafshi. My nefer says, I want Ein Saif. I want the truth. Only the truth can make you alive. Only the truth can set you free. We have all these substitutes in life, but the substitutes will disappoint. Why? Because they're not alive. They can't give you what they don't have. They themselves are distractions. <laughs> They themselves are distractions. How can they give you something they don't have? They can help you distract more. People put their hope in all types of substances. Those substances themselves are hopeless. Guy asked me why you should stop smoking pot. He smokes pot all the time. You're looking for hope. Those substances are hopeless. So you're going to find hope in hopelessness? (laughs) I don't understand. You want to rob money, you go to a bank. You don't go to a schnorrer. I'm not suggesting this. You don't go to a Shnaru who has $3 on him. You go to a bank. That's why Klippa runs to Kedusha. The Chaim says in Parsha Shmini that it's like honey and a beehive. The bees go to a beehive. Why? The, the bees go, are attracted to honey because that's where, the, that's where their uh, nutri- the nutrition comes from. That's where their life comes from. Klippa goes to Kedusha. That's where there's life. So you're going to put your faith and your hope and your 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 chachma, your wisdom and your energy in things that don't have a mamashas, don't have a substance. This is a very sophisticated way of understanding Kedusha and Klippi. You know, very often we grow up, Kedusha means you have to be holy, 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 holy. This is unholy, this is holy. Do this and you'll be holy. And people don't, what, you, what are you talking about? And if, and if you'll be holy, you'll get good rewards. Here we're learning that Kedusha and Klippa are really two ways of looking at the whole world. It's two different glasses. It's two different lenses. It's two different perspectives. Kedusha means living in a place of absolute harmony, of absolute oneness. In other words, becoming fully alive because you are a conduit for the flow of life. And Klippa means, I extricate myself from that. That's what it is. And it's a different way of living. And it's expressed in every single moment. The way I drink a cup of coffee, the way I eat, the way I speak to people, the way I speak to myself, the way I get dressed, the way I answer emails, the way I interact with people, the way I drive my car, the way I live my life within and without, both in terms of myself 
in terms of my thoughts, my words, my actions, my inner life, and in terms of my outer life, my external life. It, these are two, two, what are, in Yiddish there's an expression, Weltanschauung, two different perspectives in life. There's one place and another place. So everybody comes and says, why should I go to the king? You have the dukes, you have the governor. Why do they choose the governor and the dukes? Because it's easy access. It's easy access. It doesn't take so much avoida. But he says, in a year from now, this guy won't be able to be here for you. He himself is a hired gun. So you're going to invest your life into a hired gun. The Gemara has an expression, your guarantor also needs a guarantor. There was a pikeach echa, the Medr says. One man with Abyssal Seichel. Abyssal Seichel is a non-nos of Malka. The Indian Malka enem is of koyala atzmos. What's the idea of Malka enem is of the king is not changeable? This refers to atzmos. Shru kayam bekiyum atzmi. The only thing that is intrinsically always alive and essential and one and eternal and timeless is only atzmos, the core of all reality. His Metsius comes from him himself. It's not like he needed a creator to bring him into existence. Anything that's here because somebody else wanted you to be here, essentially you're not here. You're only here circumstantially. The only thing that feels really alive is that which is essentially alive. Its life comes from itself, not from something else. Because if my life comes from something else, deep down I know that I don't really exist. I exist as long as you want me to be here. But atzmos is mitziusi me'atzmusi. Umitzad habitl di Yisrael atzmusi is barachel ki avayam renafshin yash bam gamken inyin ki emats mitziusi me'atzmusi. Wow. Mitzad the bitl of a yid to atzmos. Chel ki Hashem amrenafshi. So in the Jew you also have something that's called ki emats intrinsic life and mitziusi me'atzmusi. You could say his mitzius comes from himself. They're very strong words. And by the way, this is the secret of anti-Semitism. You know that? This line is the secret of anti-Semitism. This is one of the, maybe one of the deepest definitions of anti-Semitism. What's the hatred to the Jew coming from? It's not territorial, because there's anti-Semitism in countries where they didn't even see Jews. We were not conquering their territory. And it's not regular, you know, phobia of minorities and phobia of different ethnic groups and phobia of different races and bigotry because we have a different religion and a different faith. Because throughout history, even in situations where this completely didn't exist, there's still a tremendous hatred to the Jewish people, at least in many places and in many instances. And nobody knows the secret. The secret is... The nefesh hashenis b'yisro, which is a chelik elekame ma'al mamesh, reflects the essential truth of God's life, which is eternal. It's the only thing that's intrinsically alive. And something that's not ready for bitl sees that and experiences the void and the pain of not having that life and the only way I can deal with it is by hating you, by trying to destroy you. Because somehow I feel if I destroy you, I will be more alive. It's a fascinating thing. There's something about the life of the Jew that 
triggers such profound emotions in the heart of the anti-Semite that he himself may not even rationalize it or explain it rationally to himself why he hates the Jews so much. Yeah, he'll have excuses. They took all of our money and they enslave us and they utilize the black people for their own benefits and they're communists and they're socialists. Oh no, they're capitalists. Oh, because they uh, they lend us money on interest. Oh, because they, they, they control all the newspapers in the world. They control all the newspapers. Because they're guilty of 9-11. They're guilty for global warming. Because Israel is involved in ethnic cleansing and genocide. There will be excuses everywhere because it has to make sense. To myself it has to make sense. Why do I hate you? I have to hate you because you're in, involved in genocide. You're an apartheid state or because... Because for you, black lives don't matter. Whatever it is, they come up with an excuse. Every milieu comes up with another excuse. Today it's Israel. 50 years ago was something else. 100 years ago was something else. 200 years ago was something else. It's like a virus. It goes through mutations. But the Nikuda is, there's something about you that I cannot live with. What is it about you that I can't live with? You remind me that I'm not alive. You remind me that I'm not alive. And not because you're arrogant. Because the bittel of Neshama Sisrael, Atav Echartanam Mekol Amam, the bitl of Neshama Sisrael, Ta'atzmus makes Metziusa Me'atzmusa. Kevayachal, he says here words, that Metzad, the bitl of a Neshama Ta'ashem, therefore you could say about a Jew, that Metziusa Me'atzmusa, not only is he really alive, his Metzius comes from himself. In other words, his Metzius doesn't come from anywhere else, it comes mamish from himself, because his very self is one with the Divine. Wow. So that means you're completely alive. And when I see somebody who's completely alive, either I emulate them, either I aspire to learn from them, or I have to hate you and destroy you. Because you remind me that I'm dead. Imagine people that when you look at them, you see that you're dead. How could you not respond? Chassidiyum Masa'ilam, learn from it to grow. And the anti-Semite doesn't want to grow. You remember we learned once about the Bali, Masech the Megillah Yudalad, the Gemara says that Achashverish had a mound and Haman had a ditch. You remember? Bala Tela Bala Chritz. And Haman wants to fill the ditch. That's why he wanted to kill the Jews. So the Rebbe asked, all the Mepharshim asked, what does it make sense? What's a ditch, a mound? Just say he wanted to kill the Jews. Especially, he didn't want to fill the ditch with Jews. He wanted to get rid of the Jews. When you have a ditch, you want to fill it with sand. So the Lubavitcher Rebbe once explained, Purim 65, Haflavafella. He said, Haman had a ditch in his heart. He had a void that he could not fill. And by killing the Jews, he would fill that void. He would numb that pain. Because Haman felt in the Jewish people something that was so grand, so infinite. And it gave him an emptiness, a sense of emptiness. And that sense of emptiness is not easy to deal with unless he can get rid of them. Let's learn the last line. That's what the matter says. A chelik is the same thing like the etzem. That's what chelik means. Chelik, chelik means it is part of that. We call it chelik because it's the way it's articulated in a body, in the world, but it's that etzem. So therefore, it has the same intrinsic life like that. Okay. We'll have a Shir Bezer Hashem tomorrow, same time, 7.30 a.m. 10 o'clock, we're having our Rambam class. Everybody's invited. Very exciting. We start Mishnah Torah Rambam. 
I ask all of you to join us. If you can't join live, try to listen to the replay. You could do it on double speed. That's the My Love replay. And if you can also share it with your friends, I think it will be a very powerful, um, very powerful experience for everybody. Intellectually, emotionally, psychologically, physically, financially, spiritually. Uh, the Rambam, uh, the Rambam was uh, one of the most seminal figures in Jewish history. His works are timeless contemporary, profound, extraordinary. And this is really the one book, the one safer, as we learned, that brings the whole Torah Shabbat Peh together into one safer, all of halacha, unlike this, unprecedented before it, there was no safer like that, and after the Rambam. And uh, learning through Mishnah Torah, I think would be a very, very powerful experience. It's not hard. It's one parak a day. It's really not hard. It's a commitment, but it's not hard. It's not hard. And uh, we're going to have these shiurim be'ezer Hashem. And it's a three-year cycle. So it's not so long. It's a three, not so long. It's a three-year cycle and you finish the whole Rambam. There are those who learn three prakam a day, they finish in one year. But if you do one parak a day, you finish in three years. So be'ezer Hashem, we're going to start at 10 o'clock. Let me take some questions. We'll take some questions. Maybe we should take the questions tomorrow. Let's see what's happening here. Okay, I'll take some questions. Are you going to go back to the question that was asked that only a Talmud Chacham needs yeshes? You started to say there are two types of yeshes. I'll get back to it, yeah. I find it hard to connect to God without a Moshe Rabbeinu. Will it be right to say, Torah mitzvahs, Iyu is Hashem, Tzadik is Eir, Chayoyi is Torah mitzvahs, Garmoyi is Neshamas. Connecting to Hashem with a tzaddik who helps me connect to Hashem, allows me to be bottle. Okay, well, the real tzaddik, what's a tzaddik? A real tzaddik is that the Eir, that he is the Eir of Hashem in this world. He's the Eir and the Keli of Hashem in this world. That's what we're talking about, yeah. I hear everything you say, but I don't feel it. Why not? Hmm. Okay, we have to fabreng about that a little bit. I think a lot of us struggle with this. We're not able to visualize the nucleus. They are only theories according to our limited brains about what creation is like, and we attempt to describe it on an extremely microscopic level and in the extremely telescopic outer space distances according to our capacity. Even a virus can only be observed after it is killed and by an electron microscope. This obviously distorts the info that one can gather from the virus because it's already dead and we use our tools. Royal Rife had a microscope in the 1930s that could visualize live viruses. He also had a method for killing them that was extremely effective. He was a threat to the much more high-priced methods and the Orthodox Western medicine beliefs and ways of practicing did not jibe with his. It basically came down to money. He wouldn't sell his patent for his machinery to the medical establishment, the AMA, which was run by Morris Fishbane. They banned his work, threatened any medical doctors who used his methods with losing their licenses, and essentially caused the work of a genius that could have helped people at relatively low cost and no side effects. They caused it to go down the dumps. Very few people know of Reif's work. There are books and documentaries about him. 
Sometimes, many people come to my office extremely stressed out. I try to help them with various techniques, besides besides being a chiropractor, helping them that way, including suggestions for exercise, rest, joy, healthy food. I recommend to them, in a mixture of making a joke and being serious, you should go up to the cold lake and jump in. In America, they say, go jump in the lake, meaning get lost. I actually think for many people it would be a good thing to do. It can bring out bittle. Because once you get out of your head and you jump into a cold body of water, you stop thinking. And when you stop thinking, you become healthy. It helps one to get more in touch with their thoughts as a result, their inner thoughts. Excellent idea, Reb Aaron. Jump in the lake. You're saying jump into the to the wet lake, to the wet, to the wet lake and to the cold lake. In other words, we have to shock our system. Um, that's why exercise is also good. Not only does it release serotonin and endorphins and good chemicals, but also it gets people out of their head. And when I stop thinking, I can be much healthier because the thoughts are sometimes just toxic. Can we say that the real transgression of Adam and the tree of knowledge was not that they ate from it, but rather that he looked at the clippus? Since when you look at it, it becomes part of you. And automatically you become, you, you eat it. That's the point of the Maimon. The point of the Maimon is that the eating is not necessarily, it's much more than a physical story. It's a spiritual story. He looked there and it became part of him. That's the amazing depth there. That the story of Eitz Hadas doesn't necessarily mean he physically ate. It means he looked at the place of Clippus, which means it becomes part of him and that's what food is. Food becomes part of you. I experienced debilitating anxiety 20 years ago for 7 years. It was very difficult. I've been okay since, and yet I carry with me an underlying subconscious fear that this anxiety will come back at some point. I'm very frightened by this. Any suggestions? Wow. Okay, we'll have to continue this conversation. Okay, one last question. Ink on parchment is an extra layer of letters that dry up, crack, and fall off. It's a superimposed layer, like pain and trauma described by the writer. Contrast this with letters engraved in stone, like the Luchas, or Lahav the Lahet stone. After the writing, it becomes intrinsic and unified with the stone. We're born without trauma and pain. Yes, fetal alcohol syndrome is an exception. Trauma and pain can be superimposed later. Later in life, one can focus on the negative. The pain and the trauma is superimposed on the newborn. Or we can choose to focus on the positive, the innate, the essential goodness, the original purity and holiness. The writer is a poet, but it seems a writer who perhaps focuses on the negative, the pain and the trauma, becomes focused and obsessed on these issues. Compare that to Viktor Frankl. Compare it to uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe in jail, the Rebbe Rayats. Compare it to Shalmar the Chayrabashkin. They experienced extreme trauma, but they maintained a positive outlook. Hashem made everything. If we just remember where we come from, Bittel should come naturally. If we forget the Klippe, the Yeshes, the Ego, then we're naturally one with holiness. The problem is our yeshes, our klippa can prevail in our thoughts. Imagine a team of scientists and engineers create a sophisticated robot. Should the robot not be totally bottled and grateful to its creators and follow the instructions? Or should the robot rebel 
become an egotistical narcissist, thinking it made itself, it can do as it pleases, it does whatever it wants, things will always go wrong. It's important to put it in perspective, to put the positive at the fore, push the negative to the back, remember where we came from, life is a gift, we didn't do anything to deserve it, appreciate it, celebrate it, dance with it, and as Reb Aaron says, sometimes you got to jump in the lake. Okay, Chavre. Okay, wow, it's late, and we have a shear in an hour, 10 o'clock. So, Chazak Vemats, I love you all. Have a beautiful, inspiring, and meaningful day. See you back 10 o'clock right here at the yeshiva.net, Psurus Tavis. Tomorrow morning, 7.30, we shall continue this Maimer. Be'ezer Hashem, Blineder, have a beautiful, beautiful, and inspiring, meaningful day. I see there's a question from the chat. Does the Rav think it's time for American Jewry to consider making Aliyah to Israel because of the virus and Black Lives Matters and all of the challenges to our society? I'm not in a position of answering such a question. I'm sorry. I don't know. Um, I see somebody posted in chat the text of the Mimer. Thank you very much for doing that. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.